happy Wednesday morning to you, Covenant Network. It is Wednesday, July 13th, 7 a.m. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. I'm Adam Wright, happy to be with you for this hour. It's already been one of those mornings, though, I dare say. Let's pray. That's, that's the most important thing. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it's been a good morning, although right before coming on air with you here over in uh, get my water cup filled up, I almost stabbed my hand with a fork, so I don't know how I did that. But we're going to move on from that and go to new things here. It just goes to show that you can't let the little things take you off stride. And that's actually what I've been thinking a lot about in the past, I guess, 12, 13 hours. Last night, two of our kids got picked up and they went with their grandparents to go see a show at the St. Louis Muni Opera. What a wonderful opportunity for them. Then they spent the night and all of those uh, wonderful things that kids get to do with their grandparents. And, you know, great thing, great thing by all means. But the other kids were home with me and my wife was at work and we said, well, what are we going to do? So I decided let's have a movie night. And we pulled out an old movie. Now, I, I shouldn't say old because it's not that old, but by their standards, it's ancient. Uh, we watched Meredith Wilson's The Music Man, and we enjoyed it. And when they sang 76 trombones, my kids spontaneously started marching throughout the living room and doing kicks and all of the things that they were watching the uh, dancers do on the TV. And I thought, oh, that's that's nice. That's sweet. How wonderful it is. And they were all doing their tarantara with the brass and everything. They enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It's been a while since I've seen The Music Man. And I love the stage show. I love the movie adaptation. I would say of all the musicals out there, it's actually one of my favorite movie adaptations. And how great it was just to sit down with three of my daughters last night and watch a movie and see their smiling faces and just enjoy ourselves. But then I got to thinking, because I was up through the middle of the night, and I was thinking about Professor Harold Hill. You got trouble, my friends, right here in River City with a capital T, and that rhymes with P, and that stands for pool, who whips up the entire town. If you've never seen The Music Man, here's the basic premise. A man who goes by the name of Professor Harold Hill, whether or not that's his actual name, we don't know, comes into town looking to sell uniforms for a boys band and instruments all with the intention of as soon as he has the money he's not actually going to put the band together he's going to skip town and move on to the next state so that they can't come get him and throw him in the jail uh, you know we would call him a confidence man uh, to put it in language my girls understood i told him he's a trickster right well he shows up in this town and he whips the whole he, he's looking for a reason to whip the whole town into a frenzy and he finally finds one that they have a, a in the billiard parlor they finally have a pool table. It's the first one they've ever had. Everybody can't get enough of staring at the new pool table. And, oh, that's friends. Do you know what that's going to do to the youth of this town? Do you know how that's going to corrupt everyone? And 
by the end of the song, I mean, the whole town demands we have to take action, you know. Fast forward to the school board or to the, the 4th of July celebrations, and he whips them into even more of a frenzy, and that's where we get the great song 76 Trombones. Why do I say all of this? How often do you and I let the metaphorical Harold Hills of this world get us off track? How often do we do that? That all of a sudden, something that is of zero consequence now becomes the most important thing in the world, and we get whipped into a panic. And if we don't solve this problem, if we don't fix this, if we don't figure out what's going on and how to put an end to it, we have to, everything else gets set aside because we have to focus on this. And yet it's of absolutely zero consequence. If I look at my life in the last 10 years, which I've been doing a lot of lately, I can't tell you how many times I've fallen victim to that because I've I've run out of fingers to count on. I have to drop everything because this is the most important thing ever. And yet all week long here on Roadmap to Heaven, we have been focusing on what? We've been focusing on the Marian apparitions of the last century and five years because we wanted to include Fatima in that. And what's the central message we've heard so far? Pray your rosary every day. Spoiler alert. In today's apparition that we're going to talk about with Doug Barry, pray your rosary every day. But there's more to it than that. Sometimes we just have to stick to the basics and repeat them over and over and over so that we don't get pulled off track. Because that's one of the ways the devil likes to operate, at least in my life. I don't know about in yours, but at least in mine. It's not so much to convince me that what the church is asking of me is wrong or that what the Lord is asking of me is wrong. Because he knows that I know it's right. So he tries to just pull me away from it and get me wrapped up in something else that's of no, of no consequence. I uh, was scrolling through my social media feeds last night and I ran across this quote from St. Vincent de Paul. Our business is to gain heaven. Everything else is a sheer waste of time. And I think I'm going to take that forward with me today. Don't get distracted by the things of zero consequence. Our business is to gain heaven. Everything else is a sheer waste of time. Well, how do we do that in the home? Kristalina Everett's going to be back with us again today. She was with us last week talking about how summer is a goldmine of opportunity to forge relationships with our parents. Uh, not with our parents, with our children. Well, with our parents, too, I suppose, if you're a child listening. But how do we do that, right? How, I don't know. Do you know? And sometimes we do know. And other times we get lost and we say, have you seen our house? We put the fun in dysfunctional. How do we break the cycle of that? Kristalina is going to help us out with that. And then, as I said, Doug Berry is going to be back with us today. We're talking about one of uh, my favorite Marian apparitions, favorite in the sense of it really, every time I hear about it, and I've heard about it many times every time I discuss it, it really strikes me to the core with the urgency of what's going on, and that's Our Lady of Akita in Japan. And then, of course, we've got the Daily Dose of Encouragement and more for you on the show today. Before we get to any of that, though, let's go to Mike Roberts for a look at today's weather. Today is the feast day of St. Henry. Born in the late 10th century in the Holy Roman Empire, he was the son of the Duke of Bavaria and grandson of King Henry I, King of Germany. His own journey to become king was fraught with disputes typical of the day, as was his consolidation of power, 
but his reign was marked with fairness and moderation. Still, he had many battles to fight to protect his borders. He was deeply involved in a conflict in southern Italy, driving the Saracens and the Greeks out when they invaded the country. Henry also played a significant role in defending Pope Benedict VIII in Rome. He and his wife, St. Cunegonde, took vows of chastity, and the two were extremely generous, establishing a number of charitable foundations. Henry built the cathedral at Bamberg and was a strong proponent of ecclesiastical reform. At the age of just 51, as he was working with the Pope to establish a new system of ecclesiastical and imperial relations, he died. St. Henry is the patron saint of the childless, those with disabilities, and those rejected by a religious order. St. Henry, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. We are back. We're talking with Kristalina Everett this morning. And last week we were talking about building relationships in this gold mine of opportunity that is summer break for our kids. For those of us with that problem, though, of saying, have you seen my house? It's not exactly utopia. We've got issues. We've got behavior issues. I've got patience issues. Name the issues. Number one, I want to assure you, you are not alone in this. So what we need to do is break the cycle of the problem. And here to help us with that, we're happy to be joined again by Kristalina Everett. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful. All right. So Kristalina, last week we were talking about all these ideas. And if I know myself, which I do, I've been saying for the past week, all right, I got some of this right. I got some of this wrong. Sometimes my kids are like, dad, what are you doing? I don't want to talk to you. Last week, we painted this rosy picture of talk to your children. It'll be wonderful. And some of my kids are like, what are you doing? You know, so how do we break these cycles of problems where maybe we don't have that open relationship with our children, or maybe they are, you know, just glued to their video games or to the television, or we're glued to our phones or tablets or whatever it may be, or maybe, you know, our our spouses, we're having conflict with them. There's all, all sorts of different problems we could enumerate here. What's the number one thing to do? I would say ask your teens questions especially your teenagers and your young ones of how are they, what's going on. But to kind of go further than that, Adam, of ask them thought-provoking questions. And if you're spending time with your teens, like we said in our last segment, of really taking that time, even if it's going and for 15 minutes and playing, like I did with my, literally my 18-year-old, I played a game of goldfish with him. And he was like, go fish, go fish, go fish. And just a stupid little cry, like, come on, give me five minutes. And just by doing that, open this world of conversation between us. It was unbelievable. Just something so stupid that kind of just reoriented their way of thinking and or frustration or whatever's going on. Do something like that. Just something fun. And it always doesn't have to be serious. But when there is conflict, if people even just go to Pinterest and they type in thought-provoking questions, ask teens or ask kids questions or even fun, silly questions to kind of break the ice with their kids, there's a ton of things that come up that I've used that have helped me with relationships with my children. But then also, once you start to get to know your children and you're spending time, a lot of different things are going to come up that you're noticing of how they're acting, who their friends are, what is it they're watching, what music are they listening to. And you never can just assume, well, I've got a good kid. They're always going to do what's right. They're getting good grades. They go to church, go to confession. They never cause any problems. Well, I suggest you stop and you go and you evaluate 
what they've been watching on the TV, look at the history on the computer, on the iPhone, and look at text messages, see how they're conversing with their friends when they think nobody is watching. And you would be very surprised what you find there. And a lot of things will come up that will definitely need to be addressed. You know, a lot of people in our day and age would say, whoa, hold on there. That's an invasion of our kids' privacy. And I disagree with that statement wholeheartedly because I look at it this way. The home is the castle. And as the father, I'm the defender of the castle. Now, not that my wife doesn't have responsibility. She does as well. But, you know, not checking what's coming in on the TV, on their phone, on their social media, etc., is like saying, all right, I'm looking out over the drawbridge of the castle. I got the drawbridge up, but by the way, I didn't build any other walls on the castle. So as long as you don't come in through this one way that I'm watching, you can come in any other way you want, and I'm not going to notice, and and you'll be fine. That's how I feel saying, well, I'm not going to invade my kid's privacy. They're your kid. They're a minor. They're in a time of formation. They are learning how to be themselves, and they need us as parents to guide them and to guard them. Well said. Well said. And there are going to be cracks, and things are going to get in, and you need to be able, and they need to know that you are going to check their phone every once in a while. You are just going to be like, hey, what's going on? Hey, can I see your phone for a second? And I did that one night because I got into a routine of, oh, well, he's a good kid. He's getting good grades, this and that. Well, their friends aren't always going to be good kids. And the things that they're sending them aren't always going to be the holiest, wonderful things leading them to God. And I was shocked at certain things that I saw, and I nipped that in the bud real fast. But it taught me a very hard lesson that you need to check in with your kids and what is going on, especially on their devices when they think nobody is watching on the computer, social media, iPhone. It is your right and duty as a parent, and you should have all codes and all access to everything on those devices. There is no reason you should be locked out whatsoever. And if they want that phone and you're paying for that phone, that they don't have the right to privacy. If they have something like that, but that that is yours as well, and that is something that you'll just check periodically. And that will, to a certain extent, keep them in check as well. Amen. Amen to that. I got to tell you, in our house, I don't know how it is in your house, but in our house, we are very clear that any tech, whether it's a tablet or a Chromebook or something like that, because some of our kids have some supplemental school and education programs that they're going to need technology to do. But we make it very clear, this is not your Chromebook. This is not your tablet. This is ours. Mm-hmm. And these are the rules. Yes. And I have mm-hmm. to tell you, having been there, if, if you're saying, whoa, I don't know that I can do this. The first few weeks of establishing this, maybe even the first few months, they're going to be hard. I want to share a little story of encouragement here. One day my wife calls me. I'm here at the studio, and she says, are you coming home soon? I say, yeah, I'm on my way. She goes, they are not listening to me. They won't turn the television off. They won't get off the switch and and this and that and the other thing. And I said, okay. So I came home, and I went downstairs, and I literally unplugged our internet from the wall and unplugged the television and took the cord out of it and then took the switch and took the battery. I don't know if I took the battery out or what I did, but I took it. And no one could access anything they wanted to. And I told my wife, I said, go do whatever. I don't care if you want to run errands. Go hang out with your sister. Go take a walk. Get out of the house because they're going to be mad. And let them be mad at me. And, Dad, sometimes we got to take that on. So, Crystalina, we're almost out of time here, but I want to go through a couple more things that – When we were preparing for today, you sent me, and it's really this question. When we hit these roadblocks, not if, if the roadblock seems incredibly insurmountable, 
we also have that option maybe to go seek outside help, whether that's through spiritual direction or even counseling, which is something that as someone who's been to counseling before, I cannot endorse enough. Why not get help when you need help? You know, I'm behind you with that 100% because I had to get counseling. And it's really humbling as a parent and as a person in general to admit that there is a problem. And a priest told me once in confession, which I will never forget, that humility is spiritual strength. And in that is when God really can work with you. And it really was when I was humble that I was able to face the hardest of problems that I had with Jesus, because there is a wall of pride that you kind of put up to protect yourself. But when it comes to you and your family, you know deep down listening to this right now, where you are at, if you need counseling, if you and your husband need marital counseling, if you and your children need counseling, if something happened to one of your children, they need counseling, or you have to deal with things that you had going on within your past that are unresolved, go to counseling. And summer is an excellent time to do that because things that get brought up can be in the privacy of the own home. You can work it all out. You can spend time together. There's that extra time that I keep saying is so golden and this collateral that we can have our children with these good relationships with us if we take that time. And counseling takes time. And it's going to be hard, and is there going to be warfare to do it? Because the devil wants that stronghold on your family. He wants that brokenness. But if you can go in and you give all of that to Jesus, the devil cannot follow you into the light, and he will have to go. And God really can work and fix and hone in on the things that he wants fixed in your family, because there are things Jesus wants fixed in your family that maybe you're too afraid to face, but maybe now he's asking you to do that, and if you have the time go. And a lot of the times they can do it right there within your own home, on the computer. You don't even have to leave. But this is definitely something that you should not ignore. And it almost handicaps your life and your family life if there is this huge problem there that you need to overcome. And God just wants to heal you, strengthen you, and heal your family as a whole so that you can do what He intends you to do in this life for Him and glorify God through that. Indeed. Well, you know, I'll say it like this. There's no shame in going out to get help because, as Crystalina just said, God wants us to be healed. So, you know, we're talking about strong families this summer. I want to leave you with these words from a TV show my dad and I used to watch together every week. It was one of my favorite things we did when I still lived at home. Remember, we're all in this together. So we're praying for you. Crystalina's praying for you. All of us here at Covenant Network are Crystalina. I want to thank you for being with us today. And I look forward to next week where, you know, we've been talking about the practical, but next week we're going to get into the spiritual a little bit. So in the meantime, you're still listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Don't go anywhere. This week we're talking with Doug Barry here on Covenant Network about Marian apparitions of the last 100 years. And Doug, today's apparition is one I learned about from you and All I will say right up front is pay attention. That is the number one thing I always come back to when we talk about Our Lady of Akita. Pay attention to what she has to say. Yeah, Adam, again, great to be with you. I appreciate it. This is one of those apparitions that has connections and links to past apparitions. And, you know, you see this theme again, as I have mentioned already in the past, that Our Lady ties things together. She's really good at connecting dots and really expanding and kind of perpetuating that message of the urgent call for conversion. Urgent call. Now, emphasize that because Our Lady of Akita, Japan, in 1973, really does bring this out. You've got Sister Agnes Sasagawa, 
who begins to receive these messages. Now she has some health issues. Those eventually are cured. She receives a stigmata in her hand. That's key to remember. It happens for a few weeks. I'll get back to that in just a moment. She begins to receive these messages from her blessed mother. And there's a statue in the convent where she is in Akita. And this statue, about three feet roughly tall, a wooden statue, is the image of Our Lady of All Nations, which we talked about recently from Ida Perdiman in Amsterdam. Now, this image of Our Lady of All Nations, this statue, rather, begins to show miraculous signs. At the same time, Sister Agnes has the wound, the stigmata in her hand in the shape of a cross. The statue also shows the stigmata, a bleeding wound from this wooden statue in the opposite hand. And this goes on approximately the same time as Sister Agnes's. The statue also begins to perspire and it begins to weep. And when they take a closer look at this, the perspiration smells like perfume. And Bishop Ito is all over this. He's paying close attention. He has the blood, the perspiration, and the tears tested. Now, he has it tested by at least three independent medical facilities. And all of them come back. And by the way, he does not tell them where it comes from. They all come back and say, these are human. So you've got this verification of a supernatural miracle happening through this wooden statue. But the messages, now to combine really the three predominant messages that she receives, and the last one being given on October 13th. And I know the audience, many are familiar with that date. That is the anniversary of the miracle of the sun in Fatima back in 1917, where over 70,000 people see the sun spinning in the sky and darting back and forth, massive conversions happening instantaneously, we can only imagine. But fast forward to 1973, October 13th, the Blessed Mother says to Sister Agnes Sasagawa, and, and she is she tied this together with other messages prior to this, that we need to be deepening our prayer because God is very angry with mankind and is preparing a great chastisement for mankind. And she constantly emphasizes, as she does in all of her messages, the need to repent, urgent call for conversion to lessen the seriousness of the chastisement. And that's something we have to remember. We're not going to be escaping this. That's been made very clear. But we can mitigate the chaos by still striving for conversion. She states in here that the demon will be especially relentless, implacable, against consecrated souls. So pray very much for consecrated souls. And we've seen this in the church. She says that there will be bishops against bishops, cardinals against cardinals. She also states, though, that if man does not repent, fire will fall from the sky, and a great multitude of the world will be annihilated. The good will die with the evil, even priests will die. And those that are living after this happens will envy those that have died. And she goes on with a few more points to that, but that really sums it up. She talks about how this will be so devastating, worse than the great deluge. And at the end of that statement, and this is the October 13th message, she says, the cause of my great sadness is the loss of so many souls. Now, this is a key thing because in the world right now, Adam, we see all this happening. Really, in essence, the only thing we haven't seen of these messages and these prophecies is the fire falling from the sky. And what does that mean? No one knows exactly. Is it nuclear war? We hear what's going on in Ukraine and Russia and the threat of that right now for the world. But it could be an EMP attack. It could be something from the universe, the, the sun, the, whatever. God can do whatever he wants. But the warning is clear. Many are going to suffer. Many are going to lose their lives. And the cause of her great sadness is the loss of so many souls. And I'll say this last point, Adam, before I finish this up. And that is this. And we could talk forever about Akita, but that is this. 
when statues of the Blessed Mother weep, this is not just some amazing phenomenon that we should go, oh, this is incredible. Let's travel there and see it. Let's have scientists study it. When God has statues weep, it's a clear message that things are not good in this area that he's emphasizing. And right now we're talking about spiritual deprivation, immorality. Those listening right now, those who are in this audience on board with understanding the need to respond to God, I cannot emphasize enough. Our Lady says over and over again, repent, convert, and pray that rosary. Not when you feel like it, you need to do it. You need to be a warrior. You need to get after it right away. Doug, it really strikes me how when we started the week talking about Fatima, you made mention that in each of the apparitions, the children never saw the Blessed Mother smiling. And I think about my own wife, and she's a mother as well, that there are times she's very stern because she knows what the children need to do. And then if they continue to ignore her and continue to ignore her, there will come a point where she will start to cry Mm -hmm. because she knows it's going to be very unpleasant for them. And that doesn't even compare Mm. to what the blessed mother is talking about. That's a temporal thing about cleaning your room or cleaning up the house. This is about our very souls and whether we're going to go to heaven or whether we're going to go to hell. And without that conversion, well, I can tell you right now, if you don't convert, I know where we're probably going to go. Yeah, it's a really rough message when you really dig into it and look at it. And, and I've been talking about this for 30, well, my, my ministry, 32 years I've been doing my work. But before that, even when I was doing just local CCD teaching, talking about Fatima, in years past, I would talk about these things. You know, you look at these things, wow, this sounds really serious. Yeah, we're seeing things get bad. Now it's different. Adam, you know, it's very different. With the world events, I say a new shoe can drop at any moment, any day. Now it's food shortages and fuel shortages and the possibility of power blackouts this summer in the Midwest and other parts and potential World War III and and all of this escalation and the corruption of this group and that group and these people in charge of this and that, whether it's in government or, or other institutions in the world, this is at a different level now. And then you bring in AI type talk and all the manipulation that they want to do to the human body and transhumanism and all these subjects that are out there that we're spinning around thinking, what in the world is going on? But Our Lady has warned us through all of this. And I want to encourage people because I know it can be overwhelming. I've been doing this for years and I can get overwhelmed too. Remember her promises. If you cling to her, especially through the rosary, she will be there. And even in the trial and the most difficult moments, okay, of sickness and, and persecution, The grace will be available if we are wise enough to open our hearts to that grace through prayer, sacraments, and especially the powerful weapon of the rosary, which she herself, sent by her son, okay, has said to the world repeatedly, is a critical piece of everything that we're going through right now. Pray that rosary. I can't think of a better way to end our time together now than by saying that exact same thing. Pray that rosary. Doug Berry, thank you so much. Thanks, Adam. Good to be with you again. This week on the Daily Dose of Encouragement, we are learning lessons from spiritual direction. And on this Wednesday, we stop to check in with Patty Schneier. Patty, what's our dose of encouragement today? Well, this week, again, I'm just sharing nuggets that I've really benefited from, my own spiritual director. And I'm just sharing some of these nuggets of truth that I carry with me and lessons learned from spiritual direction. So I talked about sin on Monday, about whether we're making a mountain out of a molehill or a molehill out of a mountain. Yesterday, I talked about pride and how we sometimes need to be told to get over ourselves. Today, I want to talk about decision-making. My spiritual director has helped me a lot in some major decisions that I've had to make and wanting to do God's will. 
or just even decisions within my family of what should I do here? How can I best show love or what do I need to do? And I want to give two nuggets of truth here. The first one is this statement that my spiritual director reminds me of constantly. She will say to me, Patty, the right thing done at the wrong time is the wrong thing. The right thing done at the wrong time is the wrong thing. So, so often it's the timing of it. Some, you know, I may want to do this or that, but if I'm not doing it the right time or the person is not in an area to receive whatever it is I want to do or give, it's the wrong thing to do. So that helps me to recognize sometimes in my decision-making. The second thing that I've learned about decision-making is that my spiritual director has taught me that Satan very, very often wants us to choose an either or. Only think that there are two options. And sometimes both options are good. So then you feel bad about letting one of them go. Or sometimes both options are bad and we feel like we have to choose one of them. It's either or. And my spiritual director has always goes back to this and say, look for other options. Look for the third way. Don't get boxed in thinking there are only two choices here. Very often in our Catholic faith, it's both and if there are two good choices. And very often when the choices, neither one are good, there's a third way. There's another option. We just can't see it yet. So when you feel boxed in, don't think it's only an either or situation. I've had to learn this many, many, many times. I'm thinking of maybe someone right now who's having to make a very, very difficult decision. And you're thinking there's only two ways, either or. No, Take a breath, take a step back, pray about it, ask God to show you the third way, another option, and see if a door doesn't open for you in making that decision. That's a great encouragement for us, especially those of us who maybe make that mistake of the right thing at the wrong time in the course of marriage. A lesson I've learned the hard way, but I want to thank you for sharing that with us today. I was trying to put together a catechist question for us this morning, but when I was working on it and I was listening to the words of Kristalina Evert when we were planning out this whole segment a few weeks ago, uh, this is something we've been working on for a while, I wanted to have a catechist question about the role of parents. And this is one of those times, however, that the more I tried to prepare the question, I could have given you a very easy true or false question, but the more I dug into it, the more I tried to prepare, the more I said, you know, it might just be a good idea instead of asking a question to go straight to the catechism for a minute because there's some really great stuff in there that as parents, uh, for all the parents listening, for all those who hope to be parents, we need to know this. And, and for all of the, us that work with the children who have parents, we, we need to know this. Um, first off in the catechism, th- this is beautiful. Paragraph 2221. The role of parents in education is of such importance that it is almost impossible to provide an adequate substitute. The role of parents in education is of such importance that it is almost it is almost impossible to provide an adequate substitute. The right and duty of parents to educate their children are primordial and inalienable. Now, that comes to us in the, in the catechism. If you look at the footnote, that takes us back to a document by St. John Paul II, Familiaris Consortio, and he talks about that. But 
What are we talking about when we say education? Are we talking about what gets taught in the school? Well, yeah, I mean, we, we should have a say in that. We're the parents. We're the first educators. But it's, it's more basic than that. The Catechism goes on to say in paragraph 2223, parents have the first responsibility for the education of their children. They bear witness to this responsibility by first by creating a home where tenderness, forgiveness, respect, fidelity, and disinterested service are the rule. The home is well suited for education in the virtues. So this is much more basic than reading, writing, and arithmetic, as uh, we used to refer to education when I was a kid. This is about educating our children in how to live their life. Now, don't get me wrong. Reading, writing, and arithmetic are very valuable and necessary skills. But we're going deeper. We're going more to the core. The Catechism goes on to say, this requires an apprenticeship in self-denial, sound judgment, and self-mastery, the preconditions of all true freedom. Parents should teach their children to subordinate the material and instinctual dimensions to interior and spiritual ones. Parents have a grave responsibility to give good example to their children. Now go back to that first sentence or that first paragraph we read, the last sentence of that where it said the right and duty of parents is to educate their children or the right and duty of parents to educate their children are primordial and inalienable. Now so often and again I think rightly so. We think of the fact that no one else in this life other than God should be telling us how to educate our children because first and foremost, it's our, as St. John Paul II makes clear, it's our inalienable right. But he uses another word there. He doesn't just talk about our right. He talks about our duty. And the catechism talks about this. And how often do we want to separate ourselves from that? You know, I and, and I, I think too often I fall victim. Well, you know, I'll let, the, I'll let the school teach my kids about the saints. I was actually just thinking about this last night. We, you know, the, the Bible story of the Old Testament of the Battle of Jericho, where they marched around the city blowing the trumpets for seven days and the walls came tumbling down. And it's actually on my list to ask my children if any of them know the story of Jericho. Do any of them know the story of Jonah? Do any of them know the story of etc., 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 and if not, not to lament why didn't the school teach them that, but to lament why did I not teach them that. But again, this isn't just about knowing our scripture. This is, as the catechism says, education in the virtues, which the home is so well suited for. Now, when the catechism says this requires an apprenticeship in self-denial, sound judgment, and self-mastery, the conditions of all true freedom, that is an, okay, kids, go off and do an apprenticeship in this. Well, if they're the apprentice, who's the teacher? You and I are the teacher. But for us to become the teacher, we have to be the student at some point, too, which means we have to have done our apprenticeship in self-denial, sound judgment, and self-mastery. Going on a little bit further, and I'll leave you with this today, in the next section, uh, part four of this, the family and the kingdom, in paragraph 2232, is a reminder for us as parents. They, parents, must be convinced that the first vocation of the Christian is to follow, and it's italicized, to follow Jesus. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me.
if we are saying we want to spare our children the suffering that comes natural with the Christian life, if we are saying that we want to spare them the hardship with it because we love them so much we don't want to see them go through any difficulty, are we really loving them? That's a question for you. So, not a catechist question, but if you, if you want one, I'll tell you. True, true or false, everything I just said is in the catechism true. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady, Queen of Peace, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to thank you for being with us today. I want to thank Doug Barry once again for being with us and Kristalina Everett for spending some time with us. We're going to continue that series with Kristalina next week as well. And Doug will be back with us tomorrow with another Marian apparition of the past hundred years. We're also going to be talking about the power of witness tomorrow on the show. So until then, I'm Adam Wright for Covenant Network. I want to thank you for tuning in and do not forget, by all means, do not forget to pray your rosary today.